I love swimming. People ask me all the time, what's the number one reason why you want a gold medal? If you could pick one thing that was the absolute number one part of your life that was, was uh, part of my success, I will tell them passion every single time. Welcome to Champions Mojo Weekly Podcast with your hosts, Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. You'll hear authentic, entertaining stories with tips, lessons, and wisdom from champions to inspire, motivate, and educate you. You'll get the tools you need for becoming a true champion in your own life. And now, your host, Kelly Palace. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo Podcast, where I am co-hosting with Maria Parker, Hey, Maria, today's show is going to be a great one. We're going to talk about enthusiasm, and we'll hear an interview with the often enthusiastic, legendary Rowdy Gaines, a three-time Olympic gold medalist in swimming and an ESPN and NBC sports swimming analyst for the last seven Summer Olympic Games. Would you mind giving us a bit more on Rowdy's stellar career? Sure, Kelly. It's great to be with you today, and I'm really looking forward to talking about Rowdy's interview on our road trip segment. Even as a non-swimmer, I'm familiar with Rowdy Gaines. I've watched, I've enjoyed watching him call many swim races on television, known as the voice of swimming and swimming's greatest ambassador. He's described by Michael Phelps as no better person to change the sport of swimming. And in 2015, he won the USA Swimming Award, the most prestigious award one can get for contributions to the sport. Rowdy is a -a one-of-a-kind champion. Maria, we could talk about Rowdy's resume all day. He's so accomplished, a three-time Olympic gold medalist, 12-time U.S. individual national champion. He's held 10 world records. He was an eight-time NCAA champion. He's been inducted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame, and Rowdy still swims almost every day. He's an avid U.S. master swimmer, and every October, he hosts a great U.S. master swim meet in Orlando, the Rowdy Gaines Classic. It's in its 11th year. With all that said, his resume won't tell you that he is the nicest, most humble guy you will ever meet. When I got a chance to sit down with Rowdy in Bloomington, Indiana at the Tier Pro Swim Series meet, he was so authentic, funny, and kind. He's just a true treasure to the sport of swimming and really one of a kind, just like his name. Yeah, I think our, our listeners will be able to tell that from his interview. I certainly could. I know one of the many things people love about Rowdy is his enthusiasm. We're going to talk with him about that today and what role he thinks enthusiasm plays in his success, and his answer might surprise you. So without any more delay, let's get to our road trip. And now it's time for the road trip segment. Rowdy Gaines, welcome to Champions Mojo. Thank you, Kelly. Great to have you here. Good to be here. Thank you. So as we've discussed pre-show... Uh, one of the things that so many people love about you is your enthusiasm, not just when you're commentating, but just in life in general. And I did a little research. The word enthusiasm comes from the Greek word meaning possessed by God or having great spirit. And the word rowdy <laughs> means spirited or loud. So 
I can't think of a better person and a better name. So what are your thoughts on enthusiasm playing a role in your life? Well, I, I think, Kelly, first of all, I, I have a father who is, uh, is very much like me. He's very magnanimous when his big personality, very generous, uh, very, very gracious. And, and, and I feel like a lot of my personality comes from my father. My mom is much more reserved. But I also have four daughters. I have three granddaughters, so the, a lot of the enthusiasm has come from just being around my girls all the time. Plus, I love swimming. People ask me all the time, what's the number one reason why you want a gold medal? If you could pick one thing that was the absolute number one part of your life that was... was uh, Part of my success, I will tell them passion every single time. I know it sounds corny and cliche-ish, but I love swimming. I feel more comfortable in the water than I do on land. That's why I said you have till 145 to talk to me because I've got to be in the water at 145. Because I have a meeting at 3 and I've got to get my 45 minutes an hour in the water. So I still swim every day. I don't swim fast anymore, but I still swim every day. And, And I think the enthusiasm, back to your original question, comes from the passion I have for life, obviously, but certainly for my sport. And I think that's why the whole broadcasting side comes across that way. So you're swimming almost every day, six days a week, sometimes seven mm-hmm. days a week. What is it like for you? Because I understand as a swimmer, when you say you love swimming, what do you feel like when you're in the water? Well, I feel, and again, this sounds a little bit corny, but I, I feel one with the water. You know, I, I've, I always try to, when I teach swimming and stuff and and I really don't know much about the mechanics of swimming and the technique of swimming uh, when I when I do my broadcasting a lot of it's just because I have that passion that translates to where I'm just fascinated by great swimming you know I this I love I love fast swimming whether it comes from an American which I am a little biased for obviously <laughs> or coming from an international swimmer I just love fast swimming or from a 90 year old it doesn't matter a masters or even eight an 8 year old you told me yeah it doesn't matter uh, so I think for me a lot of what what motivates me is to make sure that I, I try to translate that to people I talk to I I have to be honest with you. The enthusiasm is not there all the time. I crash and burn a lot. You know, when I go home tomorrow from this meet, I turn off. And sometimes that's, you know, that's tough for my family because I I bring this enthusiasm publicly and then I get tired. Right. You know, it's it's, it's hard work being on. It's not digging ditches. It's not like rocket science, obviously, but it's. It, it you know you're on and that takes that takes energy it takes emotion it takes um, a, a lot of a lot of passion to do that and so sometimes I'm I'm tired so when I go home I'm really I'm not like this <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of almost equates to how a sprinter trains they train yeah. a lot and they rest a lot yeah so would you good good analogy I mean you know I I I can see that because you do put a lot into that is there are there other places in your life that you have that similar passion that you have? My for children, swimming? my grandchildren. Um, I, I, I certainly think work. You know, I will admit to being a bit of a workaholic. Uh, I like being busy, 
I, I, I don't like uh, sedentary time. You know, I don't like doing nothing. Uh, although, although I just said when I go home, I like to turn off. When I am at home, I do turn off. But when I am out that door, I need to be doing something. I, I can't stand not being able to do something when I'm outside my door of my home. When I'm at home, I'm pretty good at vegging. Um, what do you do to relax? Because I know you work really hard. I've been trying to pin you down for this interview for months, I know, and I know. you're always on the road. What are you doing to relax? Uh, you know, my wife and I are, are, well, I shouldn't want my wife into that. Uh, I'm pretty boring um, when it comes to my home life. I really am. I'm pretty boring when it comes to being on the road, really. I mean, I admit to leaving finals last night and going to my hotel room and just watching the fourth and fifth episode of Game of Thrones final season. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't really have a lot of hobbies, uh, except when it comes to being around my kids and grandkids. I love being around them, which I'm not very much anymore. They're all, my kids are grown. My grandkids live in Idaho and I live in Florida. So it, it's, it's, I don't get a lot of that anymore. Um, but when I do, it, it brings me real joy. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's a bit cliche-ish, but it, it, my, my family certainly brings me joy. So when we're able to do things together, that, that's, that's where the enthusiasm comes. We're all going to Hawaii this summer for a week. Oh, nice. All nice. four of my kids and three of my, all three of my grandchildren. So we're, two of my children were born there. We oh. lived there for seven years. So uh, that's, right. that's, that's what right. I'm enthusiastic that. about, that trip. That's beautiful. So... Um, what techniques do you feel that you took from your athletic career and transferred into your non-athletic career to be successful? Because you're hugely successful. What, what what techniques do you think you transferred that you learned as an athlete that you're using now? I, that's a really good question, Kelly. I think for me... I'm pretty zeroed in on the whole tunnel visual thing, tunnel vision thing. Uh, if there's a will, there's a way. So if I if I really believe in something, um, if if you have this belief that something is is a value, you'll you'll figure out how to get it done, no matter how difficult the task. You know what I mean? And I did some time uh, some work with a time management company. 30 years ago and that's one of the things they teach you is, is you, you you have to create value for something um, so for me I think that the transfer from swimming which I was so tunnel vision on becoming an Olympian mm-hmm. as, as grandiose as that sounds I I really wanted to be able to call myself an Olympian I had that tunnel vision for the most part I was never perfect by any stretch of the imagination I failed miserably many times but the consistency I had in trying to do what was necessary to become successful, I think has transferred over to my professional life. And I hope to think my personal life, you know, there's, there's ups and downs to both. Right. Um, I think I, you know, I look back and think I, I, I wish I would have done things differently sometimes as a husband and as a father and as a son, as a friend and as a business person. But I think overall, I, uh, I, I just try to be consistent in what I, what I do and my beliefs. Yes. And one of the things that I see a parallel in your athletic career and your 
business life, because I don't know your personal life, which seems highly successful, but I loved your book, it, Rowdy <laughs> Rising, right? Yeah, That's in the Rowdy title Rising, yep. So um, I didn't know if it was Rising, Rowdy, or <laughs> Rowdy. one's fine. Rowdy Rising, yeah. great book. Literally, I mean, I've known you for years and years and years, and I don't even know if you remember that we were on a small little tiny national team together in 1982. 82. It was just the yep. little... Um, Sports Fest, the yep. Olympic Sports Fest. In Colorado and Robin Springs. Robin Leamy. And yep. so, so I've known you for a long time. And even as long as I've known you, reading this book, I learned some really cool things about you and forgot how old you were considered when you won your gold. And that you, you know, you quit swimming. And you, you, listeners, you've got to read this book, whether you're a swimmer or not. We have listeners that are swimmers and non-swimmers. But... This is just a great story of how you beat that, you know, that ageism. People thought you were old. And I would love to talk. And now, so paralleling that to your business career. This will be my eighth Olympics summer in Tokyo. Olympics. Yeah. And that's, that's just amazing. That's 32 years yeah. of a career. So kind of like your swimming career continued successfully to to the point where, hey, Rowdy may not, you know, and, and I'm not saying people are saying you're old now. We're laughing at that because no, I'm, I'm old. feeling old too. It's but okay. you're still out there just kicking butt, just like you did in swimming. And so that story, um, can you talk about how you feel like the new swimming age is getting older and, and maybe business ages are getting older? Yeah, Summer Sanders and I, we just talked on the phone for an hour right before I came here. We talked about this this exact same subject, about our generation was so much younger, and we were just amazed at Angel Martino making the team in 96 at 27. It was like we felt that was ancient back then. Um, and now the average age is 24, 25 for women, 25, 26 for men. There's, there's a few things that have changed because of that. W when I swam, there was when we swam, there was right. no money in swimming. Right, right. I mean, we weren't allowed to accept money. It wasn't that there wasn't any money. It was like NCAA type rules. You weren't allowed to take money. So that has changed the sport dramatically where people can actually earn a living. Most only kind of get by. There are a handful that make good money, but really most just get by as a career, but they, they can do a career out of swimming. Right. Um, and that, that, that has changed things a lot. But for me personally, I think from a business standpoint, how it translates from what happened when I swam to all the way now and how it's aged so well for me is the fact that I think it goes back to the enthusiasm. I don't know as much about swimming. When, when we're speaking specifically about the broadcasting, sure. I don't know as much about swimming as 90% of the people that would like to do this. I, I mean that. I, I, I know the general aspects of swimming. I know technique. I know the, the, the people. But you can't deny my passion. And I think especially from the Olympic broadcast side, you're broadcasting to people that have no idea what swimming is. Right. They don't know what the backstroke flags are. Right. I, I get asked the question all the time during the Olympics, <laughs> what are those flags for? <laughs> I mean, that's literally who your audience is. Right. There's right. 25 million people tuning into the Olympics and 24,900,000 don't know anything about swimming. Right. And so I think what you have to do is have that enthusiasm to bring that audience in and care about those athletes. So even as I've aged, 
it's about caring. It's about the passion. It's like, I care about these kids that swim. I, I really like them. I've never really met a, a jerk in swimming. Isn't that the truth? There are some, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, but I've never met one. Right. Most of them are, are really, really sweet, humble, gracious people. And even the ones that, you know, you think are standoffish, they're just shy. Right. You know, so it's, I've been very fortunate, you know, to call races from not only the greatest athletes in history like Michael and Katie and Missy and people like that, but also get to know them and get to know the fact that they are very, very sweet people. They're good people. Yeah, that and that, and I love to hear you say that that your enthusiasm because it it is that it's contagious the way that you completely draw people in and it's the love of watching people swim fast right. whether they're eight or ninety so right. that is that is a fantastic and that's why I think talking in layman's terms is really important and sometimes I get criticized by not being more technical and talking about whatever it is that that is you know uh, tempo and rotation and splits and all that stuff, which the are, are very important The red zone and the blue zone and the... Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And all of that's important. And I think I try to do that as much as I can during the general broadcast right. because I think it's primarily a swimming audience watching. But when the Olympics happen, it's, it, it's talking about, you know, the tragedy of Molly Hannis losing her father right before right. she swam, right. you know, and people yeah. care about that. Yes. People empathize with that or overcoming cancer like Nathan has just done. Yes. You know, I mean, people love the story behind the athlete. They want yes. to get to know this person. That's why they tune in the Olympics. They could care less what their split was at the 50. Yes. They, they're tuning in because they, they want to get to know who these people are yes. for a brief one-week period. Right, you know? right. So you have had the chance to be around tons of champions and being a champion yourself, obviously. What common traits have you observed that you would say, to be for the listeners out there to be a champion i think these are the three things that champions embody or do or well i think there are so many um and everybody has a, a different path they follow as far as those kinds of words but certainly a sense of responsibility was one for me once i decided that this was the path i was going to follow as a swimmer I knew that I had a sense of responsibility to myself to be able to do the right things, which kind of go hand in hand with um, the, de the dedication and commitment because our sport demands dedication. You can't go into this half-ass. You just can't do it. Right. It won't work. Long-term. Short-term for some that have the talent, absolutely. But long-term, the effect of, of not being all in won't work. So, and that's not for the faint of heart. You know? right, I mean, right. you can't be a faint of heart to be a swimmer. Right. But I've always worn that as sort of a badge of honor, you know. And for me to have that that responsibility of, of commitment and dedication is certainly one that I, I again, tried to live by consistently. And I, I think the other, and this is might be a little surprising for the average person, but not certainly, certainly not a swimmer's teamwork. I know that, again, is a bit cliche-ish, but I, I couldn't have done it without the people that I swam with on a daily basis, including my, my teammates at Auburn or my teammates on the U.S. national team or my family. I mean, I won three gold medals. I gave them all away. I gave one to my mom, one to my dad, one to my coach. And so the, the network of support that you have around you 
is makes the sport very much team oriented, a lot more than the average person thinks. Now, granted, we're the only ones, as you know, that's look at the line in the bottom pool, and we're we're kind of a bit of an island most of our our training lives. But outside the arena, it's 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 very much you have to you have to be you have to have it be like a family. We were interviewing Cody Miller last night after he won the hundred breaststroke and. You know, he talked about the family atmosphere around him, you know, at Indiana. And he's graduated, he right. graduated several years ago. Yet he has to have that familial feeling of people caring about him. Yeah, we did a podcast with Michael Andrew and his dad. And you'll notice, because you've interviewed Michael a lot, that um, yeah. he says we. He says we are That's swimming it. the 50 free. We swam the 50 breast. And... You know, it is an individual sport, but I think I think that's a great thing for anybody to take away, whether they're a swimmer or not. That if you're trying to get a lose weight, or you're trying to write a book, or you're trying, you need a team. You need a team around you that supports you. Give me one more, Rowdy. One more thing that champions do. I would think taking risks. Ooh, I love it. it because because our sport is not for the faint of heart. I think you cannot be afraid to fail. So. And it's, I think our sport, again, looking back on it, is so ever-changing. It changes so much year in and year out from a technique standpoint, from a training standpoint, from a nutrition standpoint, from a tapering standpoint. Technology. Technology. All these things change. And I think coaches and athletes alike, but especially coaches, they get set in their ways. You know, they've had success one time doing it this way, so they say, it's going to be like this every time then. So I was always very proud of being able to swim with two of the greatest innovators our sport has ever seen in Eddie Reese and Richard Quick. And both of them never were afraid to fail. They were original. They were leaders. You know, they weren't followers. And uh, just because something works for me one time in a great taper, Richard was not afraid to take risk and taper me a little differently or train me a little differently in the water, in the weight room, dry land, whatever it was. Uh, it was always something different. And I think those risks that you take also keep the sport fresh. Because the sport can be pretty grinding, yep. you know? Yep. And so I never knew what to expect when I walked into a practice or walked into a season. And I think taking those risks, uh, calculated, uh, obviously, you don't want to be reckless about it, but taking risks, I think, was something, again, that not many people think of in our sport, but certainly you don't want to be afraid to fail. Do you think you do that in your business and personal life? Not well. as much. Yeah. I'm a bit of a wimp. <laughs> I really am. I've, I've always, you know, I work uh, right now for the YMCA and, and I love our organization. I love what we do. And uh, on a daily basis, I can't wait to get to work every day. I've had this dream of mine for 20 years to open a swim school. I've always wanted to open my own swim school and teach kids how to swim, especially in the, that underserved community. And I've never been able to pull the trigger. I don't. I've never told anybody that, but I've always been too afraid, you know, I, I, to take that risk. That risk. Yeah, right. It's, it's a right. financially. It it's sure. a. It's a huge risk. Yeah. Personally, professionally, it's it. Been wanting to do it for twenty years. So that's an example of professionally. I don't take as many risks as I did certainly in swimming. Um, 
Well, I mean, I take some. You're obviously. still young. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, having turned uh, 42 just the other day, yeah. it was, uh, it was uh, difficult to imagine myself going forward, you know, without taking risk. But I'm joking about turning 42. But just make sure your audience knows that I'm 42. Yes. You don't need to edit yes. that. Okay, we won't edit it. <laughs> so you, you led me into just a perfect question, talking about how much swimming changes, because we are on this cusp of pro swimming going yeah. really big. I'm so excited personally about the International Swim League and these teams that are going to, you know, pick up pro swimmers and compete and it just seems like there's a huge horizon. Can you talk about your thoughts on this International Swim Great League? Great for the athlete. I mean, you couldn't think of a better outlet for the athlete especially to be able to from a financial standpoint. That's the big thing. It's it, and and I don't want to sound crude when I say that, but really it's about money now. Right. Because yeah. that's how we keep our athletes involved in the sport so they can financially be able to support themselves. So it's great from a financial standpoint. I, I, from, for, for it to be successful though, whether it's ISL or anything else, the Athena right. Championship right. Series going on right now, the pro swims, right. um, it all it all boils down to television because that exposure has to be there to a mass a, a, a bigger audience. Unless you have somebody that is willing to front it financially, where money is not, uh, where where that 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 ability to expose it to a bigger audience is not a big deal. Um, but I, I think for it to be successful, we have to make sure that. Uh, we play to the television audience as much as possible. I see. I see that, and I, I think I'd love your thoughts on just the. It's great for the swimmers. The swimmers are going to have Absolutely. a job, but then there's going to be, you know, we have our first two women who own pro teams: Tina Andrew yeah. and Caitlin Sandino own opposing teams. But they're two. They're the first. I, I read the first two female pro teams. Now we're talking against baseball and right. basketball and football. So we've got that in swimming. They're going to need coaches. So we're going to have pro coaches, right. not college coaches anymore, pro coaches, not high school coaches, not USA coaches, pro coaches, pro assistant coaches. We're going to need announcers. <laughs> we're going to need commentators. So th so there's we're going to need podcasts that talk to these pros. Yeah. And so I think it's it's really a huge horizon out there. And have you thought about that? Well, many times. I I have my own ideas on on how I I would do it, um, and uh, it's too long to get into. But and, and I'm, I don't know I don't know anything. But I I I, I think that uh, the amount of uh, professionalism that has come into the sport has uh, been astounding over the last year especially and uh, it can do nothing but help swimming and help swimmers it also helps that we have true superstars in the sport and we can thank Michael Phelps he's if without Michael we wouldn't be doing this right now I right. can guarantee you there would not be an ISL there'd be no FINA championship series there would certainly not be the money available to athletes now without Michael Phelps he yeah. He is the genesis of all of this. It wasn't Mark Spitz. It wasn't, you know. Rowdy Gaines. Rowdy Gaines. <laughs> certainly wasn't Rowdy Gaines. It wasn't that 84 team, even though we had great swimmers. But you were a name like that. Matt Biondi. Right. 
It was Michael Phelps. Yes, Michael Phelps. And because now Katie Ledecky. Because he transcended Ledecky. the sport. And now Katie Ledecky. Don't you think so? Katie Ledecky, absolutely. Greatest female swimmer in history. Biggest name ever in the history of the sport on the female side. But I will tell you that Michael has transcended the sport more than anyone. Because I can guarantee you, if you go out on the street and ask 10 people who Michael Phelps is, nine of them will tell you who he is. Right. That he's a swimmer. Yeah, I just saw somebody got his face tattooed on their thigh. and Yeah, Yeah, so it's, and, you know, his name will begin to disappear over time a little bit. But, I mean, we know Mark Spitz. So a whole generation will know Michael Phelps for the next 50 years. And, again, like Tiger in golf, like Serena in tennis, he, we owe him a, a, a tremendous debt of gratitude. Because there's no way we'd be where we are now without him. We do. Yes. Amen. That is beautiful. true. Yeah. Absolutely. Regardless of what you think about oh, him. No. I, I mean, I love him dearly. He's, he's, a yeah. very, he's a great friend. And, you know, you have your, your, your fans and your non-fans of Michael, I guess. But for me, he's, he, he, uh, he was the game changer of the sport. That's Michael was the game changer of the sport. And the game changer of the absolute swimming side of things is... Um, is the underwaters. The underwaters, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, love that. that. If anything changes sport more than anything else from a technical side, yes. it's underwaters. Yeah. That's, mean, it's it's that's the a fifth stroke. Point. It's it's the reason why uh, it's the reason why you, you so, see so much fast swimming. And that's innovation. This is a quick post interview insert for those of you who may not know what underwaters are. They are described as the fifth stroke. And what Rowdy and I are talking about is underwater dolphin kicking off the wall. So if you notice, swimmers will stay underwater for as long as they can. The maximum limit is 15 meters. But what we're talking about here is powerful underwater dolphin kicks off of turns and starts. And that has changed the sport of swimming because it's very fast to swim underwater. If you we have, I have two quick last questions. Mm-hmm. Second to last question is, if we have a listener out there that's a non-swimmer that just is getting into the brain of Rowdy Gaines, who's this champion, successful athlete, successful businessman, and they have a, a big goal out there that they want to achieve, whatever that is, you know, raising a family, writing a book, losing 20 pounds, just accomplishing a big goal for themselves. What would you? What advice would you give? Kelly, I'm so full of cliches. That's the problem. That's okay. You're you're looking for an answer that Repetition is so philosophical is and um, so cerebral. And I'm just so not cerebral when it comes to a question like that. I am literally like a person that says, "Don't give up." So, I know it's so simplistic when you say I that. I love it. But I am living okay. proof that dreams come true. I started swimming when I was 17. I tried out for five sports before I went out for swimming. Football, baseball, basketball, golf, and tennis in that order. My first two years of high school, we started high school in 10th grade. I got cut in every single one of those sports. So, but I never thought about giving up. I never thought about, oh, well, I'm not good in sports. I forget about it. Swimming was next. And if, if it wasn't going to be swimming, then 
I had literally went to the library the day I went out for the swim team and studied up on track and field because I figured I'm probably going to get cut in swimming. So I wanted to see what the next sport in line was to try out for. So it was track and field. So the, 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 that was a long answer to your short question and my simplistic answer, but you can never give up on your dreams because my belief is we are all put on this earth for a very specific purpose. I don't know what that purpose is, and sometimes people don't realize their purposes until much later on in life. It may be 60, it may be 80, who knows? Um, but you can never give up. I love it. And I, and again, I love it's, it. It's, no, that's that's perfect, and and that's why that was part of your book that I didn't know. I didn't know, you know. Yeah. I it, like I said, I've known you for what, 30, 40 years. Yeah. I didn't know that part of you having tried out for all those sports and yeah. and didn't start swimming. I didn't know you didn't start swimming until you were seventeen. So I mean, I knew rowdy, how to swim, yeah, right? And you swam around Florida on the lakes. Yeah, yeah. I learned but, how to swim. For but that's what I read in Rowdy Rising. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I love that. So so that's a great book. So my okay. last question, yes, is. And it doesn't, you don't even have to answer it if you think you've said everything you need to say. But I just always like to ask, is there anything that you would like to have listeners know about you or tell or say or promote or what you're most excited about? Just Sure. Yeah. I, I want to say one thing uh, as far as promotion. I don't have anything to promote. But yeah. the, the most important thing is if you have children and if you have grandchildren, I'm begging you to put them in swim lessons. Because drowning is a literal epidemic in our country. And if there's a platform that I've had over the last 20 years, it's, 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 it's eradicating drowning, which will never happen, obviously. But to educate the public that literally swim lessons save lives. I know that's, again, oversimplistic, but it's really important to remember, especially if you live around water, even if you don't, but especially if water is part of the fabric of who you are, like it is for me in Florida, the cure is, is swim lessons. It's not like cancer or heart disease or uh, 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 Alzheimer's, all tragedies. I mean, complete tragedy. None of us have ever been... Nobody, I don't know anybody that hasn't been touched by cancer, obviously, Kelly, you know? So, but it's hard to find a cure for those. Right. You know, we, we're, we're working on right, that. Right, But there's, there's not a, there's not, there, there is a cure for, for drowning. Right. And it, it's swim lessons. So that's. I love it. That's a great thing. But you Rowdy, in swim lessons. You have to go to swim practice. You better get out of here. So thank you so much no for your time. It's been awesome. <laughs> You're you, just such an inspiration. Thank you. Really, Enjoyed really every minute. Appreciate it. it. Thank you. See you in the pool. See you in the pool. So Maria, what do you think? <sighs> Rowdy is really as amazing uh, a person as I've always heard. I loved, loved, loved the interview. Um, and he is incredibly passionate about swimming. And I, I loved how he talked about passion being more important than knowledge, which, you know, I think you have to be knowledgeable and, and that's part of being a champion. And of course, he is very knowledgeable. But he said that, you know, it was his passion that got him his job and keeps his job, you know, because people love to hear that. People are attracted to that. Um, so I, I thought it was I thought it was an amazing interview. What are some of your takeaways, Kelly? Yes, Maria, that was my number one. I actually wrote down four in case, again, we, we duplicated on that. And I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I loved the quote, which is, 
I don't know as much about swimming as 90% of the people that would like to do this, but yeah. you can't deny my passion. And so, yeah, I, I, I feel like we, we always talk about in this podcast how you take um, what athletes do and what they've learned and you transfer it into real life. And so I have a, a story that so correlated when he said that, and it, it was so First of all, just authentic. And like I said at the top of the show, humble, you know, to to be this guy that's, you know, got all his accolades and to have called seven Olympic Games to say, hey, 90 percent of the people, you know, know more about what I'm doing, but I got the passion. So um, when I came out of my coaching career um, based on a family tragedy, you know, I was a, the head women's swimming coach at the University of South Carolina. I had had a great year, was building momentum, and my team did not plan to leave coaching. But, um, you know, we lost our beautiful sister-in-law, Rebecca, to suicide, which was um, a real family tragedy. And and we can, that will be another podcast. But um, so I just threw everything aside and came home to help my brother and and, uh, his three kids. They were five, six, and eight at the time. And after I spent... About a year there, just, you know, doing baths and soccer games and helping with meals and getting things back online, I looked up and I said, I need a job. (laughs) You know, so um, I had been flying to recruit somebody out of um, California from South Carolina, and I sat on a long plane flight next to the human resources director for Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. Lucky me. And he's asked me what I made as a coach, and he gave me his business card, and he said, hey, you want to make a lot more than a swim coach? Call me if you ever want a job. So I was scrambling around and looking for that card. Where's that card? I need a job. And so <laughs> I, I called him up. He remembered me, and he was not the interviewer um, at all. But I, I went to the interview, and I interviewed with the regional manager, actually a guy named Carl Banks. And they flew me to I, – I called them and they said, yeah, we've got a position in your area. It, can you fly up tomorrow? So I flew up the next day. And the regional manager called me the day after my interview and he said, you know, you're not our typical hire, but I loved your enthusiasm. He called it a fire in my belly. <laughs> and then That's I great. think you've heard this story before. So at the the welcome, like at the the – education week where I met the vice president of sales. So you go through, you have a, you know, you have your human resources director got me an interview with my district manager who was awesome. And then, then I had to go to the regional manager. Then, then once you're in, I had a dinner with the VP. And so he said, Oh, nice to meet you, Kelly. You know, so what's your background? I said, well, you know, I was a swimmer and I was a division one head coach. And he looked at me and he said, well, that's kind of a stretch to get into pharmaceutical sales. And he had a real scowl on his face. And I just thought, you know, what a what a negative response, number one. But that I had gotten the job because I was enthusiastic. I didn't know the ins and outs. I didn't really even know what pharmaceutical sales was. But um, they trained me and I, you know, ended up being one of their top performers. And I certainly... You know, that guy had to eat a little crow. But I I feel like that that is something that's so important for listeners to know that, you know, if there's something out there that you are passionate about, but you're afraid you just don't have the the deep skills for it, you may not need it. I mean, enthusiasm 
goes a long way. And uh, I think it's one of those underestimated character traits that, you know, is is present in champions. What do you think, Maria? I, I completely agree with that. And I think people can become, I like the... The, I like the the title of the show is enthusiasm rather than passion because people I, I I believe that lots of times people think that a passion is something that bubbles up in your belly, whereas enthusiasm is something that you can choose. So, you know, I guess my one of the the things that I I loved that Rowdy said. I, he didn't say these exact words, but this is what I heard. I heard him say, I choose to be enthusiastic about swimming and about calling swimming races. I love swimming. And I choose to be enthusiastic about my family. And, you know, these are the two things that I am enthusiastic about. I And, I, you know, my story on that is we can choose to be enthusiastic and grow a passion for things. When I was a young mother, I was bored stiff. I, I thought I was going to like be so crazy about my kids and, you know, I, you know, goo, goo, goo. And I was going <laughs> to love it. And I remember sitting in the floor one day, just crying, thinking, I hate this. I, I, it's not that I hated my kids. It's just that I thought it was horribly boring being a mother and interacting with people who couldn't really talk to you. And, um, and through talking to some people, especially my sister, you know, she said, you you can choose to be enthusiastic about this and you can choose, you know, basically to to be good at this and and, and be a, the best mother that you can that you can be. And and I and I thought, yeah, I don't have to just go with this feeling of ennui and boredom and, you know, and irritation. I can say no. This is my choice for now. I'm going, you know, not forever, but for now, I'm going to be the best mother I can be. And I'm going to, that doesn't mean I, you know, I sat on the floor and played with my kids every day, but I, I started to get educated and, and, and talk to other people and try to turn, you know, this time in my life, you know, around by choosing every day to be enthusiastic about being a mother. Um, and so I, so, you know, I've heard lots of people say, well, I don't like this or I don't like that. You know, it's, well, you can make a choice on that. And I think I think Rowdy has, is someone who has said, you know, he loves swimming and he's passionate about swimming. He swims every day. Um, and he was an incredible champ. But he said, I had tunnel vision, which just means that I looked at the prize and I went for it. Yes, yes. I think that is great. And I, I do love how you differentiated between passion, which kind of bubbles up in you, and then enthusiasm, which um, you can actually give yourself the why. When he said tunnel vision, he said, what is the value? What is the why? And so one, I, I do not know where this quote comes from, but it it is so perfect for enthusiasm. And it's, I don't even think it's a quote. It's kind of a, a little wordplay, but the last four letters of enthusiasm are I-A-S-M, and those can stand for I am sold myself. Yeah. So, you know, you, I, I, I think that you must be sold on something to be enthusiastic about it. So you you sold yourself on the idea that these are my beautiful kids and the value that I'm bringing by being their mother. I'm sold. I'm enthusiastic. I didn't have 
any enthusiastic any enthusiasm for pharmaceutical sales. But once I went through their training and I saw the benefits of you know, the lives that these drugs changed. Boy, I was enthusiastic and I would go into those doctor's offices. I was sold myself. So I think that you have to be sold yourself to be enthusiastic. Rowdy's obviously sold on swimming, not a hard sell probably for him. He's sold on his family. So, you know, that's something that is just, I just love those last four letters of enthusiasm meaning that. Yes. That that's you've said that before, and I want to write it down because that is that is exactly what it is. And and he he says he he sold himself on swimming, and then his his calling swimming also he's selling it to others, especially at the Olympics. And he's he made that point in his interview. I um, people who are listening are tuning in don't know anything about swimming. They want to hear about these people, and I am going to you know I'm going to tell them about these people. And I'm going to explain, you know, these, what the backstroke flags are for and so forth. So once you're sold yourself, then selling others uh, is is easier. Absolutely. And, 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 and people say, oh, you know, he's just passionate. Well, he's made a choice to be sold himself and to sell others. Yes. And it's not something that he's just lucky. Oh, well, he's lucky. I think, I think that's what people, for, for me, that's an important takeaway that, that you can choose choose your enthusiasm if you're lucky and you and you have a natural passion that that bubbles up and you go for that but if you know if you're in your life and you're you know you happen to be a bricklayer well you can choose to be enthusiastic about that and be the best bricklayer you can or move on to something that you can be enthusiastic about yes i uh i totally agree with that and one of the um other takeaways that i loved from rowdy's interview was his talking about being really enthusiastic and then needing to recover. So, you know, I I think when I first um, set up this interview, which, you know, like I said in the interview, Rowdy's been on the road and I've been really (laughs) trying to get him on the other side of the microphone. I finally did. But um, I had kind of always been under the impression that Rowdy was just always enthusiastic, like that he just walked around like that 24-7. And so that was the kind of the surprising part that he does, you know, have ebbs and flows. And that really made him seem more authentic and human and just like he does. I mean, he he's out there. He's enthusiastic, but that it's OK. And that, you know, we, we've talked about rest and relaxation and how important it is. But I love that he recovered after those high energy periods and that, you know, we need to allow ourselves that. Yeah, I completely agree. I I like that too. He you know he was, he said after calling the meet, you know he had to go home and or go back to his hotel room and just have some downtime. And it is I think when we see somebody like Rowdy or other champions, we only see when they're on, and we don't see all this the the a we don't see the downtimes when they're when they're creating the energy that they can be on for or all the discipline and, and and work behind it, we can tend to be think, oh, well, they have something I don't have. And I and I would disagree. I think Rowdy has created <clears throat> something in his life by hard work and consistency. And he, and he protects it, obviously, by, <laughs> by taking what rest and relaxation he needs so that he can be on. I love it. Any, um, any, I have one more takeaway. Do you have any other takeaways from the Rowdy interview? No, go ahead. Um, 
so I liked kind of the wrap on the commonalities that he saw as champ that champions have, which are responsibility, uh, kind of that dedication. I'm all in. You know, uh, I think that's important for us to be whatever we want to achieve. That we're we're really committed. That we're you know we're all in. Um, he reiterated, reiterated teamwork, which we've we talked about with um, Michael Andrew and his father, and I'm sure we'll do another one on teamwork. And then I loved his taking risks, you know, just his willingness to take risk, even though he did say in his own business life he's not been as bold as um, maybe he was in his athletic career. But those three things, like just being dedicated, having teamwork, and taking risk, I think were um, the commonalities that he saw in champions. Yeah, I like those too. I, I loved that he was honest about, you know, the the sort of desire to start a team, but that it was it was something that he wasn't ready to take the risk, even though he he believed that taking risks was part of being a champion. And I think that's another thing that we can just sort of emphasize that people like Rowdy and other champions can seem so brave. And so, you know, like they're always out there, you know, throwing it out and trying new things. Even Kelly, listening to you talk about wanting to stand up and sing the national anthem, I'm thinking, oh, (laughs) but I know that there are things that you're that you are afraid of still that you still haven't done that that you may that maybe you would like to do. So I loved that Rowdy was able to show us his front side and his back side, the inside or inside maybe is better. That is a great, great point, Maria. And um, I I like the little, I don't know if people heard it, but it's almost a little whisper that he said, I've never told anybody this. So (laughs) we, we, we got an exclusive that he wanted to start a swim school, which... Is different than a team, which okay, you, my little fellow non-swimmer, but a, sw- <laughs> a swim school um, tied into one of his other passions, which I heard enthusiasm for, which I know he's sold on, was promoting safe swimming, you know, safe, uh, keeping, um, getting people to learn how to swim, to, to, yes. to help oh, that's with right. drownings. That's right. So that's what a swim school does. And I think I can see those two tying in and maybe something that we're going to see from Rowdy in the future. Who knows? But yeah, I loved... Do um, it, Rowdy. Do it. Do it. Yeah, do it. You can do it. (laughs) But um, that is such a great point that you think someone with his success level, his confidence level would just blast out of the Rowdy Gaines swim school, you know, and um, but I I love that we got the exclusive there that is, you know, I've never told anybody this, but um, (laughs) yeah, and and certainly um, his enthusiasm for helping kids learn to swim would tie into that one. So uh, anything else before we move on to action items? Well, I, I, I've, I've already sort of talked, I think about my action item a little bit, but I'd love to sort of elucidate it more clearly. And that is, well, that don't let yourself off the hook. It, if you don't think you have some kind of a special gift or passion, like he talked about um, going through all the different sports before he found swimming. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think I have spent a lot of my life waiting for myself to become passionate about something. (laughs) And, and, and what, what's happened is I've chosen things to become passionate about. And then, my enthusiasm and my passion has grown for those. So I think my action item is 
if you don't feel passionate about something, pick something <laughs> in your life and start aiming for it and do like Rowdy says, have have tunnel vision, have consistency, have discipline, take a responsibility for moving in that direction and becoming good at that. And your enthusiasm and your passion will grow. Great, great stuff, Maria. Yeah. And mine is a similar but a little different twist on it is is taking that I am sold myself, which is the value that Rowdy Uh, commented about. So, you know, you want to be more passionate about your work or your relationship or, you know, whatever goal you might have that what can you do to prove to yourself that that's bringing value or um, that you're sold yourself? What can you do? Because sometimes you just really have to look at the value that you're bringing. And, And I, you know, I have to say there were many days that I would go out the door to sell pharmaceuticals and I just... I just needed enthusiasm. And then I would just remind myself that I was helping people get well and that, you know, I look at stories of that. And so what value are you bringing? Can you sell yourself on it? And and then the enthusiasm will kind of, it just grows. It's just like, you know, one step leads to two, leads to four. And then you look back and you're like, wow, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh Again, I think just this concept of pointing towards something and like you say, and then looking back at, you know, where where you've come and say, okay, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. That's excellent. It was a great interview. Thank you. Thanks so much to Rowdy for taking the time to meet with us. Yeah, it was it was just awesome to get to sit down with him. So that is going to be a wrap on the show. And we are just so grateful you spend this time with us each week. And if you do like us, please subscribe to Champions Mojo on YouTube and leave us a review on iTunes. iTunes, And we will see you next week. Yes, thanks again. And be sure to reach out if you have extra ideas or comments. We'd love to hear from you and interact with you. Thanks so much for listening. This week's quote of the week comes from us from Winston Churchill. Success consists of going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. We are so grateful that you spent this time with us today, and we hope that you heard something that inspired, motivated, and educated you. Signing off for myself and my champion co-host, Maria Parker, we hope you'll join us again soon, and we know you can be a champion. Thank you for listening, and please see below for a copy of the show notes, for any links or important information that we've referenced here. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast, designed to make you feel inspired, motivated, and educated. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Also, visit championsmojo.com to learn more.